Happy Mother's Day and welcome to week number four of our spiritual season we're calling Next Gen. We're so glad you're here. And uh, we've been telling you each of these weeks that Next Gen is about our future impact as a church. It's a time where we're, we are being reminded that we are not here just for ourselves, uh, but we are here for others who do not know Christ yet. And that's not just true for today and tomorrow, but it's true out into the next generation. And there's a real sense in which this whole season is about us choosing to act today in order that we can impact tomorrow. Now, today's message is called The Next Big Thing, and we're going to spend some time thinking specifically about how God has called us, both as parents and as a church family, to think about tomorrow, to to think about the next generation. Now, let me remind you of our our key verse for our Next Gen Spiritual Initiative. It's Psalm 78.4, and I would like you to uh, read it uh, out loud with me. Psalm 78.4 says, We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and mighty wonders. That's what we're doing during this season. And, you know, as I was coming up on uh, this day today, as Mother's Day was approaching, I I was remembering back to the day when Dana and I first became parents, almost 28 years ago. And, And I'm thinking some of you moms have kind of been taking that journey as well, right? This this time of year. You know, moms, I'm going to ask you right now, do you remember the first time you held your baby? You know, aren't newborn babies like the most beautiful thing in all the world? I mean, yours, of course, is. <laughs> all the rest are kind of weird looking, aren't they? But, uh, but while, you were, while you were holding that baby in those early moments, did, did anyone else's mind go this direction? Did anyone else have this thought kind of run through your head, I'm, I'm probably going to screw this baby up, aren't I? <laughs> Anyone been, th- been there? You know, you, you're, you're raising a human being and it's so complicated and it's so important. There's so many de- ways that it could go wrong, right? And, and we give the job to amateurs, always, right? What's a new parent to do? Well, today we have some options that past generations have not had. Today, we can go anytime we want to the fount of all wisdom, the internet. And, and we can run searches on how not to screw up our kid. And, and that's actually, in case you're wondering, that's actually a big mistake. And one of the reasons it's a big mistake is there are just so many different options out there, so many opinions that just keep coming, keep coming at you. You know, there's, there's mommy blogs and there's Facebook friends and your relatives have ideas. Anybody's relatives have ideas on how you should raise your kids? If they're here today, don't raise your hand. Um, Everyone has an idea about the thing that you must do, you must do to make sure that your kid grows up okay and does not end up as a serial killer. One person will say, well, it's all about cloth diapers and organic baby food. And another person says, no, no, it's music and art. Just expose them at an early age. Then this person says, keep them away from all screens. Just read them books. And then another person says, you got to get them an iPad. Educational apps are the best thing for all kids. And then another person will come and they will say, you know, you got to hold your baby. Never let them cry. Breastfeed them till they're 11. Otherwise, (laughs) they will be anxious and insecure their whole life. As if breastfeeding when you're 11 years old wouldn't make you anxious and insecure. 
And then there's another person on the other side of the thing that says, no, 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 no. You need a schedule, a strict schedule. You feed them, burp them, sleep them, spank them in that order five times a day, whether they need it or not. Otherwise, they will be entitled selfish brats. And then another person says, you know, don't worry about any of that stuff. Just, just rub your baby with essential oils. And, <laughs> and, and you're like, who knows? I mean, maybe those things are good and maybe none of those things are good. And that's kind of the problem, right? There's just there's so much clutter and you find yourself feeling overwhelmed and lost and, and wishing that someone would just kind of cut through it all and give you a path toward what really matters. Now, there was a pastor from Rwanda who was doing graduate study in the United States a couple of years ago, and he was here uh, for a few years, and he could only go back because of finances to his home and to his family for some short times during this year. So he really had to leave his family, which, by the way, had eight kids behind. And one of his friends asked him, well, what does your wife do? I mean, how does she take care of all these kids? And this Rwandan pastor just laughed and said, well, in Africa, we have this wonderful thing. It's called community. And we just kind of open the front door of our house and the kids run out and just kind of the whole village just raises them. And my, my whole church is actually looking out for my kids and raising them well. They just come in at night after being gone and we don't worry about them the whole day. He said, I don't even worry about my wife because when I moved out, three women from our church just moved into our house. We didn't even ask them. They just did it. She has all the help that she needs. Now, right now, I understand that some of you women may be a little bit angry um, at this Rwandan pastor, and you're wondering, what was he thinking? And even if you're not, we know that's kind of a stretch for us in the suburbs of the Bay Area, right? But there is something about that, something about that that's actually closer to the biblical vision of parenting and family than the way most of us usually live. See, most of us, when we see other people's kids, maybe getting in some trouble, maybe needing the help of some kind, our thought, our thought is that's not my job, that's not my responsibility, right? I learned a new Polish proverb this week, and you should always learn new Polish proverbs, I think. And the new Polish proverb is kind of how a lot of us think about things like this. It goes like, it goes like this, not my circus, not my monkeys. And... Uh, that's how a lot of us think, but that's actually not how the Bible describes it. See, we are not meant to be in isolated nuclear families all by ourselves. Parents certainly are the first, the primary caregivers, spiritual or otherwise, for their kids. But the Bible does not see them as the only adults with responsibility. And the passage we're about to look at is actually addressed, you need to keep this in mind, actually addressed to the entire nation of Israel, not just to individual parents. And throughout the Bible, we see this perspective, this understanding that the whole community of faith together is always invested in the next generation. In fact, we know today from research that the number one factor in a, in a, in a kid growing up and, and keeping their faith, the number one factor other than the faith of their parents is this how many other relationships they have with other adult Christ followers before they leave their parents' home. See, that's one of the reasons why I love what happens here at Southwinds. 
Do you know that almost 300 kids, about 300 kids are going to be in kids space today? And one of the most common things that I hear people say is that my kids cannot wait to get to church. They beg us to go. They have so much fun. And many of you, you know, when you come on Sundays, your kids kind of want to run ahead of you because they are looking forward to seeing teachers and helpers in kids space with names like Lisa or Sherry or Dan or Jordan or Cody and Kelly or Anna or Siri or Heather, Trisha, Tori or Sarah and a whole lot of others. They're even excited most of the time to see Pastor Chris. And then over across the courtyard, we have about 200 teenagers who get together every Sunday in their own services, building relationships with other adult leaders and other teens that can change their lives. And, and many of them are excited about seeing Pastor Scott as well. Now, many of you parents, you, you love that because you realize you cannot do it all on your own. And one of the things that all of us need to be thinking about today, whether we're parents or not, is the, the different kinds of ways that we can invest in the kids in our lives. See, at Southwinds, one of the things we believe is that God has called us to invest in the next generation. It's a, it's a clear part of our next-gen spiritual initiative that we want to provide the best possible environments for the next generation to reach them for Jesus Christ all across Tracy, all across Mountain House, all across Lathrop, and even beyond. I actually uh, struggled some with calling this message the next big thing for this reason. I don't want people to misunderstand. You see, I, I do not believe what much of our culture believes that life is about the children. The Bible never teaches that. And one of the biggest problems we have in our culture today is an idolatry of children. And even, even some of us here have problems in this area. Some of us have made idols out of our kids. And what I mean simply is this. We put our kids above God. We put them above God in our priorities, in our values, in the way we live our lives. And so I wanted to make sure that, that, that in calling this message the next big thing, I didn't they create misunderstanding. But at the same time, Deuteronomy 6 is the most important passage in the entire Old Testament. You know how I know that? Because Jesus said so. Someone once asked him, what's the greatest commandment? And this is the passage that he quoted. And then he went on to say, this passage actually summarizes the heart of the Old Testament. So wouldn't you agree if Jesus says this, that makes this kind of a big deal? See, the next generation is always a big deal. People who study child development have known for a long time that much of a child's moral development actually gets set by the age of nine. And after that, spiritual change becomes much more difficult. It's still possible because nothing is impossible with God, but it becomes much harder. 85% of Americans we know accept Jesus Christ by the age of 14. That just reminds us, as we strive to reach all people, how vital, how important it is, how crucial it is to reach children. Researcher George Barna wrote this a couple of years ago. He said, our children will define the future, which makes them our most significant and enduring legacy. God never told his followers to take over the world through force or intelligence. He simply told us to have children and then raise them to honor God in all that they do. 
Therefore, he goes on, you might logically conclude that bearing and raising children is not only our most enduring legacy, but also one of our greatest personal responsibilities. This is kind of a backdrop to what I want you to see in Deuteronomy 6. And here's the the broader context of this chapter. The people of Israel have been set free after being slaves in Egypt for 400 years. God has worked through Moses to lead them out of the, out of the nation of Egypt, the, the, out of, in the Exodus. They are now uh, standing on the border of the promised land. And Moses is giving them final instructions, a final charge, and he's really saying to them in Deuteronomy, here is how you are to live life in your new home. Now, I want you to remember as we work our way through this chapter that these are words to the entire nation, not just individual parents. And this is how it begins, verses 1 through 6. Moses is speaking. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Now, it's very, very clear, just on kind of a surface reading of these verses, that they are telling us what our number one priority in life should be. These verses give us our goal. This this command to love God is above everything else, and it should act like a compass as we navigate the path of life. Nothing else is important. Let me kind of sum it up for us as parents, as grandparents, as members of the South Winds community. Our goal is a next generation that loves God. That's our goal as a family, corporately, collectively. But as parents, individually, in your family, your goal is the same. Your number one goal in your family should be children who love God. You can have some other goals, and those goals may be good goals, but they must come in a distant second place to this. Some of us are most focused on school success for our kids, and that's important, but it is not as important as knowing and loving God. Social skills, emotional intelligence, that's crucial. But friends, you can teach your kids to relate to everyone else in their lives. If they don't know how to relate to God, what have you accomplished? You can give your kids a well-rounded range of experiences in sports and music and dance and other cultures and nature, but if God is not at the center of their life, then there is no way their lives can be truly well-rounded. The health and safety, that's the focus of so many of us. Well, the health and safety of our kids, that matters. But if they are not spiritually healthy and eternally safe, then all your efforts to protect them are meaningless. God wants your child's heart. And parents, that's the reason he gave your child's heart to you. No one has more influence on their heart than you do. And that is on purpose. God made a relationship that was intense enough to get down to the deep places of a person as they're being formed. And your number one job as a parent is to love God yourself and then pass that love along to your kids. Now, if 
Loving God is our number one goal in life. It's important for us to understand what it means. What, what's he talking about here? Well, in verses four through six, Moses kind of elaborates on what this love should look like, what it means. Verse four says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And that tells us that the love God wants from us and from our kids is an exclusive love. There is one God, He has no rivals. Therefore, the love we give to God is a loyalty that no one and nothing else in our life gets. Our devotion to God is exclusive and it is supreme. Let me just ask you right now, is that true of you? Or are there other goals, other loves in your life standing above the love you have for God? Number two, the love we give to God is all-encompassing. Verse 5 says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. The Bible uses the word heart in a different way than we do. For us, the heart is a place where emotions reside. But in the Hebrew mind, the heart is where we think and make decisions. It's the command center of a person's life, the core of who we are. Maybe you can think about it like this. It's like, imagine every person in the world has an arrow sticking out of their chest, pointing towards something. And this arrow is where we give our attention. It's where we direct our energies. The arrow is our life's orientation. That's the heart. And then the soul. The word soul here means something like life or life force. But that kind of sounds a little bit too Star Wars-ish, doesn't it? I mean, the way maybe you can think about it is like this, the vitality or energy that any living thing has. And we might refer to it as a person's passion. And then the word strength doesn't just refer to physical strength. It refers to all the resources we have, including our money, our possessions, and our relationships. And so If our soul is like our internal passion for something, then our strength is is all the resources we have to put toward pursuing that passion. Maybe you can think about it this way. It's like if a human being were a car, then their heart would be the steering wheel. That's what points you in different directions. The soul would be like the gas pedal, and you can can give a, a little bit of juice or you can do a pedal to the metal. And then your strength would be the engine. How much horsepower do you use to go in the direction that you're headed? And you put this all together, and it is so clear. God does not want a halfway, half-hearted love. He wants an all-encompassing love that involves all we are, all we do, all we have. And because of that, thirdly, it's also an obedient love. Look at verse 6. Have you ever noticed how the Bible is always linking love for God with obeying his commandments? It's all through the Bible. Jesus said it on many occasions. If you love me, you will obey what I command. This obedience, you see, is, is not to be just kind of rote compliance out of duty, hollow, lifeless obedience. God wants obedience that flows out of this this exclusive, all-encompassing love, a heart that loves him and, and trusts him, that comes from deep inside. And if it's not motivated by love, it's not the kind of obedience that God wants. See, this is what we want. Our goal is children who love God with all they have and that, that do so in a way that leads them to obey God's commands. So the question is, how do you make that happen? How do you work on a kid's heart so they actually develop that kind of love? How do we shape 
the next generation's heart. And I want to show you three things this morning, and, and I want you to be aware as a church, collectively, we should be involved with all three of these things. Number one, we do it with our routine. We see this in verses seven through nine, some practical advice. Moses says, impress them, and that is God's commands, on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. How many of you have ever had a visit to Arches National Park in Utah? You've seen there. Anybody been there? Just a couple people in this service. I got the to go there three years ago with my daughter, Abby, on a trip across the country. And we didn't get to stay very long, but while we were there, we saw these incredible, massive sandstone arches, so beautiful. And when you, when you see things like that, you find yourself wondering, how did this get here? How did this happen? And scientists tell us it wasn't some cataclysmic event that like blew a hole through the mountains that caused these arches to be there. The actual way they formed was a very slow, very gradual process. Over millennia, wind picks up sand and picks up stone and, and little by little blasts holes through rock. The human heart is actually formed in much the same way. Our hearts are not shaped by big, dramatic moments nearly as much as they are by countless small experiences. Day after day, the things we do, the things that happen to us, these are the thing that forms who we are. And this is especially true with kids. Routines are so important, especially for preschoolers, right? Has anybody ever been driven like almost insane by your preschooler doing something over and over and over again, like listening to a song or watching a TV show? Anybody want to give amen to that one? I mean, they, they're just wired for routine. They love routine. Do it again, they want to say. And, and as they grow older, they still need routine. Even adolescents need routine. We, we should know that. And as Christ followers, as adults, we still need spiritual routines. We need Bible reading and prayer and worshiping God with his people and, and fellowship in small groups. These are just the basic activities of spiritual life. And what I, am, what I am reminding us of is that we as parents have a responsibility to shape our children's daily routines because that's how their hearts get shaped. These verses actually give us some help with that. One of the ways we can do that, we see in verse 7, we can shape their routines with having purposeful conversations with kids. Moses says, talk about them when you sit at home. And this is, this is just something you're already doing, I hope. You're, you're talking with your children, right? Now, there's, there's two ways to have a purposeful conversation that we, I can mention real quickly. And, and if we had a lot more time, we could go into this a lot more deeply. But first of all, we can ask them questions. You know, I, I would assume that you're talking to your child and just as a matter of course, you're asking them questions about life in general. Well, ask them questions about God. Ask them questions about what they're thinking about God. For, for one example, if you have a preschooler, you can ask them questions like, well, what's your favorite thing about God and why? Or what can you thank God for today? You, you may not have a deep theological conversation with a four-year-old, but you might be surprised. As kids get older, the questions get more complex. But as parents, 
It's our responsibility to ask those questions, and it's our responsibility as our kids ask us questions to do our best to answer them. The other way you can have a purposeful conversation with kids is connect daily life to God. What are the things that happen in your life every day? Are you connecting those things to God and his his sovereign rule and work in this world? Are you helping them to see that? Uh, For example, I want to check in this service too, just to make sure, but how many of you eat every day? Could you raise your hand? I just want to check and see if that's going on. Um, Some of you are having problems with the truth, it looks like, but we all eat every day. Here's the question. If you have kids, are you helping them remember along the way that all the food that we eat comes from God, that he's our source of our life? And I'm really talking about more than just perfunctory prayers before meals. That's part of it. But, but even beyond that, are you helping them to be aware of that? How about our homes? How about our cars? How about all the possessions we have? They come from God, don't they? Have you ever said to your child, and you can adapt this according to their age, isn't it great that God gives us a nice home to live in? Do you recognize that? Or are you a kind of person that tells the kid, look, this is my home, and I'm the one that provides it for you? You may need to tell them that sometimes, I understand. But if that's all you ever say, and you never recognize that you have this home, and you have these good things in your life because of God, you're not helping your child understand How about this? When you experience beauty, do you help your children connect that to God? When you have a beautiful day, the weather's just perfect. When you look around at the beauty of the hills in this valley in which we live, when you see the mountains, when you see the ocean, when there's a beautiful sunset, do you just enjoy that beauty or do you express to your children where that beauty comes from? Isn't it amazing that God made such a beautiful world? Doesn't that tell us that he's a good God? You're shaping their hearts by shaping their routine. Next thing that Deuteronomy talks about routines is is this. Take advantage of the in-between moments. It says, talk about them when you walk along the road. Now, we don't do a lot of that today. The modern equivalent for us would be riding in the car, right? And uh, for some families, uh, this is a good time to actually pray together. Now, if you're the one driving and you're the one praying, I recommend that you pray with your eyes open. That's always a good tip. But you can pray with your kids, just one to two sentence prayers about whatever you're, you're going out to do. Some parents I know teach their kids to pray whenever an emergency vehicle goes by. And, and I'm thinking as I'm looking across this room, especially those of you who are here as first responders, that would be a great thing to pray about because that means they're praying for you, right? And, uh, and so you, you, could, you could teach them when they, when they hear a siren or they see a, a vehicle going by, dear God, heal the person that's hurt. Dear God, help the helpers take care of whoever's in trouble. Dear God, if they don't know you, help them know you. You're connecting your your child's understanding of life to God and his work. Now, I'm going to make some of you mad right now, but I don't care. Um, One of the things that this will require, and I hope you'll listen to me, especially as kids get older, is that we as parents do not allow devices to run their life. I'm talking about phones, I'm talking about video games, I'm talking about anything like that. And I am not saying that these things are bad. I didn't, you didn't hear me say that. But I am saying this. I am saying that if you let those things, those devices, set the agenda of your child's life, it's not good. You're the parent. 
It is your job to shape their hearts. And this is part of the role that God has, has given you. Uh, the next thing Deuteronomy 6 talks about is develop morning and evening routines. He says, talk to your kids about God when you lie down and when you get up. And it just reminds us how we begin and how we end the day determines so much. And, and there are many ways that we could do this, but uh, you're going to have to decide what works for your family. But don't forget this, how your day ends, how your day begins. I, I would just suggest to you that you need to with anything else you do in this, make sure that prayer is a part of it. Are you praying for your kids? Do your kids hear you praying for them? Uh, it doesn't have to be long prayers. In fact, some of you need to be reminded that with children, short prayers are probably better. Pray for them before you send them off to school. Pray for them before they go to sleep. As they get older and they even begin to tell you they don't really want you to pray for them, pray for them anyway. I mean, if nothing else, it irritates them and that makes you feel better sometimes, right? And you know what? Even when they are older and they may tell you they don't want you to pray for them, they want you to pray for them. They are hearing as you pray for them that you love them. So pray for them even when they don't want you to. You're shaping their hearts you know, we, that, that's talking about the family, but let's broaden it out. A, a crucial part of a child's spiritual routine is learning God's word with God's people. That's why you need to bring your children regularly to worship and Bible study and fellowship with God's people. You know, there, I've had a number of you over the years say to me as parents, man, if, if, if church had been like kids space was when I was a kid, it would have changed everything for me. If I could have experienced all that energy and joy and fun, you've said things like, you know what, if I could have gone to student ministry like we have at Southwinds and, 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 and been turned on to spiritual things and not turned off, if I could have had my questions addressed and, and not dismissed, so much in my life would have changed for me. Is that true for any of you here? See, at Southwinds, we believe that all kids need Jesus and they need to come to him. And it's our job to make sure that we have a place where that can happen. This is a huge part of what's going on with Next Gen. I've been saying it's about our future. And I'm going to make it really clear right now. We are at a pivotal moment in our church's history. And if we do not take action, if we do not move ahead, we will end up turning some children away, preventing them from hearing the message of Jesus, at least here. Maybe you know this, maybe you don't. But from time to time, I am aware that parents show up in our kids' area, and they have a child with them, and they look in on a crowded, crowded classroom, and some of them leave and don't leave their child there. They think it's too crowded for their child. Some of them may stay one Sunday, but then they don't come back. And many times we'll, we'll never know why. We, 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 are, we are running out of room in many of our, our, our classrooms. We need more space for the ministries that God has called us to do. You know, part of what you can do in response to that is just quite honestly to, to volunteer and serve. I, I talked to Scott and Chris this week and asked them what the needs were in their ministries. And, and Chris, uh, uh, Chris Thielen told me that, that we, we have about 125 volunteers in children's ministry right now. And that is so awesome. And I am so grateful. But I want to tell you, we actually could use about 50 more to be fully staffed. Is God calling anyone today to to volunteer and serve in our kids' space ministry. 
Scott told me we need about 15 more adults to work in, in our, our, our student ministry to be hosts for a small group at home or to serve on Sundays. We, we need people to, to volunteer and serve. But we also need a place where they can come and where there's actually room for them, actually room for them to learn about Jesus here. That's our routines. The, the second thing we shape our kids' hearts by is our example. You've heard, probably heard the, the saying that love for God is more caught than taught, right? Well, it's true that who we are in our character is, is more important than the things that we say. This is the most Im- significant factor in whether or not our, our child learns to love God because have you noticed how kids pick up on what's important to the adults in their lives? How do they pick up on this? Well, there's two things actually mentioned here in Deuteronomy 6, two ways we see that our example uh, sets the the agenda for them. I'm going to give them to you in questions, all right? So here's the first question. How do you respond to success? See, kids see how you respond to success. This comes from verses 10 through 12. Moses says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build. Say, I did not build. Houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide. Say, I did not provide. Wells you did not dig. Say, I did not dig. And vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Say, I did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Do you see what Moses is saying? He is telling them, you are about to enter an amazing land. Things will start to go really well for you. You're going to be blessed. You're going to have more than you ever need. And when you're enjoying those good times, when you're enjoying those blessings, will you remember the one who rescued you from slavery, who brought you out and brought you in, the one who is the source of all your blessings and all your success? Will you remember him? Or will you start thinking... I'm the one that did this. I'm the one that got all these good things. Another way of saying this is how you respond to good times in your life reveals your heart because it shows what you love, who you trust, what matters most. And your kids always pick up on that. Does anybody else notice how kids are wired to notice and pick up on what the adults in their lives get excited about? You ever notice how when something happens, your kid will start looking at you to see what you're going to do, how you're going to respond? Are you going to be excited? Are you going to be angry? They want to know, what do we celebrate around here? What makes us happy around here? So it is really vital for us as parents to have as our central definition of success deep in our hearts, more important than anything, love for God and love for other people. Is that how you define success in your life? And for some of us, it isn't. We need to be honest with ourselves, but that's what the Bible says we should do. See, when things go well in your life, where does your heart go? What do you say? Do you tell your kids, oh, we worked hard for this. We deserve this. Or maybe we kind of got lucky. Or do you say, thank you, God, this success is a gift. Your kids see what you do. The other way kids pick up on your heart is 
Where do you turn in times of trouble? This is verses 13 through 19. It says, Fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. For the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God, and his anger will burn against you, and he will destroy you from the face of the land. Do not test the Lord your God as you did at Massah. Be sure to keep the commands of the Lord your God and the stipulations and decrees he has given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight so that it may go well with you and you may go in and take over the good land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers, thrusting out all your enemies before you as the Lord said. See, Moses is telling the people, in this land you are entering, you will not just experience success, you will also experience opposition. You will also face enemies and you will have to decide how you, will you respond. Will you turn to God? Or will you turn to the gods of the people around you? See, how we respond in times of trouble also reveals where we have placed our trust. And our kids always see this. They know when we are stressed. Even if they don't understand the details, they feel it. And they are watching how you respond. And this is so important for them. Because when they see where you turn when times get tough, it tells them where they should turn when times get tough in their lives. And if your heart turns toward acquiring more possessions, if your heart turns toward experiencing pleasure, if your heart turns toward anything but God, your kids see that, and that's what they think matters most in your life. You see, the, the real answer to all of this is, is you grow in love for God. If you're growing in love for God, your children will see that, and they are more likely to follow along. Uh, is that happening in your life? Are you setting an example? I kind of want to pause a minute and, and address something. And I know for some of you, this is a hard message because maybe you're thinking about your, your kid's other parent who is not a believer. Maybe you're thinking, you know what, if love for God is more caught than taught, then what are they catching from them? And I know that's a hard place for some of us. So I want to give you some hope. In the New Testament, there are two letters called First and Second Timothy Two letters written to a pastor named Timothy who led a very important church. He was kind of a hero of the faith. And the question is, how did Timothy become a hero of the faith? Well, the Bible's answer is that he had a mom and a grandmom who loved him, but he also had a father who wanted nothing to do with Christianity. And I'm sure as he was growing up, there were some incredibly hard moments when mom had those awkward conversations with dad, when mom wondered if, if Timothy would stick with the faith because dad was pulling him another direction. Moments when, when dad was upset that they were just giving Timothy this weird religious stuff to, to him. But God was faithful. And part of what happened in this story is that Timothy had other Christians in his life as well. People who were not his biological family, but members of his spiritual family, the church, uh, primarily people like the Apostle Paul. Paul was a, a single man, no kids. And yet he called himself a spiritual father to Timothy. Paul invested in Timothy all his life. You know, if you are here and your, your co-parent is not a believer, then the, the community of a church family is even more important for you and your kids. Because it is through the examples of other brothers and sisters in Christ, like spiritual aunts and uncles, maybe moms and dads, that the love of God gets passed on to your kids. Are you, are you leveraging the example, the power of example that's available for you here 
within this church family. Uh, one of the things that I think is really cool right now is an example that I'm going to share with you um, that's being set actually for the adults already by our kids, by the next generation. Our, our, our student ministry and our kids' space ministry are setting a great example because they're really excited about what's ahead of next gen. Uh, over across the courtyard in the student ministry, maybe uh, you know about this, but this last Sunday and even this Sunday uh, for kids who couldn't make it last week, we gave uh, all of the kids in student ministry a can of Pringles, and they had two jobs. First job, eat the Pringles. You, you think they're excited about that one? Second job after they eat the Pringles is to fill that can back up with an offering that can go towards next gen. And Scott told them uh, that if they fill it up with change, it'll equal about $200. And so they're working on that, and they're going to be working on that over the next, uh, over the next three years. They're also going to be collecting bottles and cans that they turn in. And here's what's really cool. Are you ready for this? Our student ministry has set a goal for our next gen spiritual initiative over three years of $50,000. They're setting an example. Will we follow our, our, our kids' space uh, has having all the kids build these kind of Lego boxes as a bank, and they're going to put money in those, and they're already turning it in. We already have received over $500 uh, from our kids, and one little seven-year-old girl has already given over $40. She started giving before we even started the campaign, the spiritual initiative, because she said to Pastor Chris, I want a new building. And he was a little concerned, so he went to the parents and he asked the question some of you are wondering about, um, is this your money or hers? Because you never know, right, with the kids. But they're setting an example. Will we follow? Here's the last way we shape our kids' hearts very quickly, through our reasons. Our reasons. Look at verses 20 to 25. In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you, tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent miraculous signs and wonders, great and terrible upon Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land he promised on oath to our forefathers. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. Here's what I'm saying about this. All throughout your child's life, you will need to explain to them the reasons for why you live the way you live. Why do we obey God's commands? Why do we follow Jesus? Why do we try to love God with all that we are and all that we have? And you need to know the reasons ahead of time. What are your reasons? Do you know them? Do we obey God just because that's what we're supposed to do? Do we obey God because it makes us feel better about ourselves? Do we obey God because, you know, good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell? We don't want to go to that place. Do you know the reasons why you follow, why you obey God? Are you communicating those to your children? Here are the reasons Moses gave. He said, we obey God because he rescued us from slavery. Are you aware I hope you are 
if you know the Lord. I hope, I hope, I hope you know that you are here today because God sent his son and died on the cross for your sins to set you free from the slavery to sin. You could have never gotten yourself free. You could have never experienced what you have today. It is all by grace. God rescued you from slavery. Do your children know that's why we serve God? Because we're so joy-filled that he would love us and send his son. And then he says, we obey God because his way is the best way to live. It's the way of blessing. God knows the best way for us to live. You see, we, we don't obey to earn salvation just in response to his salvation. We live for God because he sent Jesus to live for us. And even before we turn to him in love, he loved us. We love God with all we have because God has already loved us with all he has. And because he loves us that much, that means we can trust him. If God sent his son to die on the cross for you, do you think he's going to tell you any way that you ought to live that's not in your best interest? You can trust him. He only tells you what's good for you, what's the best way for you to live, because he's the one who rescued us. Now, some of you know that on Friday, my, my 79-year-old dad had a heart attack, and uh, we spent most of the uh, afternoon and evening uh, in the hospital over in Walnut Creek, and he's doing well. They, they put two stints in. He's uh, supposed to be coming home today, may even be on his way now. And you know, one of the things that I experienced through that um, at that time in the hospital was that my dad was calm. My dad was at peace. And I know why. You don't want to know why? It's because my dad knows the God who rescued him and saved him 60 years ago. He knows that God is going to take care of him no matter what. And so he doesn't need to be afraid. See, God saved my father 60 years ago. My dad had no parents who knew Jesus. Neither one of his parents, to our knowledge, ever came to know Jesus. But he came to know Jesus, and he's been walking with him. Uh, not too long ago, I've told some of you a story that just has been on my heart during this time. It kind of popped up in my mind as we were moving into this next-gen season. And it, it's a story that just reminds us, I think, of the way that God works, how God works in ways we often cannot see, how things we do today have ripples and impact that just go out into the future and sometimes in, in ways we would never, ever imagine. This is a story that I actually did not know myself until I had been pastor here at Southwinds for several years. Here's the story. On September 19, 1959, my parents were married in San Mateo. After the reception, they, they got in their car and headed east because they were going to honeymoon in Yosemite and some cabins up there. And they, they, they spent their first night together as a married couple in a motel on Vasco Road, which, by the way, that information is totally grossing out my children every time we drive by Vasco Road. They got up the next morning, drove over the Altamont, drove down into the valley, and somewhere along the way decided that they ought to go to church. And they went to church in a little community called Tracy. As it turns out, the first worship service that they attended as a couple was at the church that their yet unborn son would become the pastor of more than 43 years later. 
It was this church. I didn't know that when I was coming here. My mom and dad hadn't even remembered that until after I got here. It just is a picture of the kinds of things that are happening that we don't even know about, that we can't even foresee. And here's the thing. In two weeks, we're going to have Commitment Sunday. In two weeks, many of us are going to make choices and decisions. We're going to make some commitments about whether or not we want to impact the next generation. My prayer for us is that our response of commitment will be worthy of the salvation of this great God who rescued us from slavery to sin, who calls us to love him with all our hearts and calls him to pass that love along to the next generation. That's what I'm praying. I'm hoping you're praying that too. Would you bow your heads as we pray? Father God, um, on a day like today, we're so thankful for, for family. We're thankful for moms. We're thankful for kids. And Lord, we're reminded that you love the next generation, the kids in our lives, far more than we ever could. And they are more precious to you than they even are to us. And that means, Lord, we can trust you with them. And so, Lord, we pray that you would guide us as a church family as we seek to care for kids and invest in them. Lord, give us wisdom and Give us direction. Help us to know what each and every kid needs so that their hearts can be shaped to know you and love you and experience all the blessing that you have for them. Lord, we pray uh, that you would teach us to trust you, teach us to obey you as we walk with you every single day. And Lord, teach us how we can pass that on to the next generation. We pray these things now in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son. And all God's people said,